0: Data analytics, it is everywhere. And today, on episode number 254 of CXO Talk, we're being visited by the feds. No, that's true. We are. We have two amazing women who are going to be talking about the role of data in law enforcement. And these folks are fantastic, and they are right in the middle of it. I'm Michael Kriegsman, an industry analyst and the host of CXO Talk. Before we start, I want to say thank you, as I always do to livestream because those guys are the best. They provide our video streaming infrastructure. and if you go to livestreamcom talk, they will give you a discount on their plans and, and so so thank you so much to livestream. There is a tweet chat going on right now using the hashtag CXO talk and if you join in on Twitter using hashtag CXO talk you can ask questions and you can participate in this conversation. And if you're on Facebook then go over to Twitter because that's where the chat is happening. So without further ado, let me introduce the first of our two guests. Kelly Chabaka is in the house. And hey, Kelly, how are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me today.
0: So, Kelly, who do you work for and what what do you do?
1: Currently I work for the US Postal Service Office of the Inspector General. I'm the chief data officer here. I've been here about two years. Uh, prior to this, I've mostly done my career in the inspector general community. I was at the Department of Justice, the Director of National Intelligence, and the Federal Trade Commission OIGs. I've done audits, investigations, inspections, legal counsel work, congressional relations. So, getting to do the data analytics piece is just adding another element to the layer of oversight and fighting fraud.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to be learning a lot more about this uh, during the next forty-five minutes. And our second guest is Carol Brismakowicz, who is Kelly's peer, I guess we could say, in another agency. And so, Kelly uh Carol Brismakowicz, I'm sorry. You know. There's no words and no excuse. Carol Brzmakowicz, how are you? And uh, welcome to CXO Talk.
2: Thank you so much, Michael. Hey, you got Brzmakowicz right, so I give you credit for that. If you change Kelly's in my name every now and then, that's all right. You got our last names right, so congratulations to you for that. Um, Yes, I am Kelly's peer. I'm the Chief Data Officer at Health and Human Services, our Office of Inspector General. I've been here a little over two years as well. Um, We are the two Chief Data Officers in the Office of Inspector General community, so it was exciting to meet Kelly and to see what she's trying to do in her organization and a lot of what we're trying to do in our organization. So we're happy to share what, what we're doing from our piece. You know, You mentioned the feds are here. So our small piece of what we're trying to do, happy to talk about that today.
0: Fantastic, and let me ask either one of you to to explain for us. Uh, maybe Kelly, you can explain what is the Office of the Inspector General and how does it fit. You work for the Post Office. Carol works for Health and Human Services. So how does how do how do the pieces fit together?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I actually really love this community. When I Um, First interviewed for my job at DOJ, I had no idea what an inspector general's office is. And then I come to find out I actually really love it. Um, We're essentially the law enforcement internal affairs people in the federal agency. So nearly every federal agency has an inspector general, inspector general office, and we do audits and investigations for the purpose of detecting and deterring waste, fraud, and abuse. And promoting the efficiency and effectiveness of the government agency. That's basically the legal language for saying we make government better. Uh, we're the people assigned to that, and yes, we have job security because we have an impossible job.
0: So you report then both to the agency as well as to the Central Inspector General Office. Would that be the right way to say it?
1: Uh, no. Although I appreciate the attempt, there is not yet a central inspector general. Congress has considered it. We have dual reporting to our agency head and then actually directly to Congress. And so our oversight committees are the congressional senators and representatives, whoever is interested in our work. Those are the people that we are accountable to. And that's how we preserve our independence by having two separate people who we have to report to on the progress that the agency is making and where it's having its management challenges and how we can help it. That's how the inspector general. Uh, does its job.
0: And uh, Carol, can you maybe uh, elaborate on this because I think it's a, it's a very interesting point. So you report to two separate people in order to ensure that, as an inspector general or at working in the office of the inspector general, that you maintain independence. Can, that's, that seems very important. Can you, could you would you elaborate on that point, please? Yes,
2: absolutely. So for our organization, for example, Health and Human Services um, is a trillion dollar portfolio. So, our responsibility is to provide oversight for the agency. Think about Centers for Medicaid Medicare. Think about Centers for Disease Control, the Food and Drug Administration, the National Institutes of Health, and many, many other agencies. What that dual reporting structure really allows for, um, as Kelly mentioned, with the independence. we want to give the information first and foremost to the agency to help make the agency better. But, we also know there's a lot of things that Congress is expecting us to make sure that we're using the dollars as most effectively as we can. One thing I will say, too, that's interesting about the law enforcement angle that you mentioned, um, we're not just trying to knock on doors within the agency and figure out where people may or may not be um, filing the right paperwork, if you will. Really, what we're trying to do is protect the integrity of the programs to make sure that the beneficiaries of those programs are getting what they need and to make sure that outside entities aren't... um, You know, when we think about fraud, that outside entities aren't taking advantage of the programs as well. So it's not it's not just an internal focus. It's not supposed to be a, a gotcha moment. You know, one of the first things that our leadership team does, especially under this new administration with the new leaders, is say, "All right, we are we're an independent source. If you have concerns about fraud, waste, and abuse, come talk to us. We will be objective. We have a lot of subject matter expertise in the organization to give you an objective opinion." Um, We can tell you where programs might need to be strengthened and talk about those top management challenges with the organization. That they've also engaged in a dialogue to ask, you know, what's keeping you up at night? Where can we help? Where do we need to look? Because again, it's really about protecting the programs and protecting the beneficiaries, the health and welfare of the people that those programs are intended to serve.
0: And you're both involved with very high profile investigation. So maybe can you kind of uh, share with us the the some uh, something about those investigations, and then let's drill down into the data aspects. You're both chief data officers, and so let's talk about that.
1: I'm really excited about a case that we're working on that my inspector general testified about yesterday, actually before Congress. So using data analytics, a couple weeks ago, we started exploring. A new data set that we are receiving from the Postal Service. The Postal Service is getting more and more advanced electronic information from international postal agencies on the packages that are inbound to the US. And so under her direction, our IG's direction, we started looking at the data set using data analytics to see if it was possible to look for trends or patterns that could identify suspicious parcels that are coming in that could contain narcotics, particularly opioids like fentanyl. Um, for the viewers who don't know, fentanyl is a highly powerful narcotic that is um, up to 100 times more powerful than morphine, and it is oftentimes lethal even upon contact. So, it poses a real danger to the Postal Service employees who are who are working and handling that those packages and not knowing that they're coming in. It turns out that the Postal Service receives about 275 million packages from overseas every year. And um, the CBP and the Postal Inspection Service is working to try and identify the packages that contain opioids. Well, we ended up, we happened to be invited into a case where it appeared that a Postal Service carrier was colluding with drug traffickers from China in order to deliver opioids here in the US and so we were working that case and when we made the bust and confirmed that the package contained fentanyl we were able just to trace back uh, that sender through the data and say who else has that sender sent packages to in the last several months and then we looked at those recipients addresses to identify other people they were receiving packages from um, internationally, and found some overlap where it looked like shipper one and shipper two shared some customers in common. And it turns out we confirmed with CBP that both shippers had um, a package or uh, several packages seized by CBP, and that they contained fentanyl. Um, so, with with one case and going through data analytics, we were able to identify over 2,800 suspicious parcels that have come into the U.S. in the last couple months. Now. What we do with this from here it requires a lot of interagency collaboration to do something with it. But you can imagine the potential, it's just endless for what we can do using data analytics to try to fight the opioid crisis that our nation is facing.
0: So, where do you, tell us about the data and, and uh, Carol jump in as well? What kind of data do you look at? Where do you get the data? How do you analyze the data?
2: So, I was going to follow on too and say that. Um, for the opioid crisis in this country, we are also taking a look at that. That's a huge priority for not only Health and Human Services, but also within our specific office of Inspector General. We're looking for how to reduce prescription drug abuse. That right, it's impacting beneficiaries. And so, um, part of our takedown in July actually targeted medical professionals that were potentially facilitating abuse of these drugs. Uh, and really, what that means when you're talking about it from a data perspective, right? There are a lot of practitioners, a lot of physicians, and, and um, just medical professionals as a whole that are doing absolutely. Absolutely, the right thing. Um, and what you're trying to do is, um, if you're developing targeting, or sometimes our agents have a question, they need information very quickly to determine whether or not what they're seeing is behavior that they expect to see, or whether it's kind of outlier behavior or something out of the norm. What we're trying to do is look at the data to very quickly sift through that give more information to our agents so they can make that informed choice. Um, We've created some tools based on uh, CMS's data environment. So Centers for Medicaid and Medicare um, have an integrated data repository. It's a wealth of information. It's over a petabyte's worth of information. And a lot of it's looking at, you know, eligibility data, enrollment data, provider data, claims data. And so when you're trying to sift through that very quickly, it's understanding, okay, what were the trends in an area? If a provider um, is prescribing something that's, you know, 100 times more than anyone else in the local area, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. It just means we need to understand that, and we need to understand then, too, is it tied to cancer patients? Um, if it's something that's not meant to be pain, you know, related to high levels of pain medication that you would expect, it just opens up a question. Um, so concurrent with our takedown back in July with our agents, there were 412 defendants across all uh, areas, but there was a specific portion of that that was targeted towards opioid High prescribers, we actually had partnered with our evaluators and released a data brief. Um, it's called the Part D data brief. It's on our website if you're interested in it, but it was looking at those cases where people were being prescribed extremely high doses of opioids, you know, almost 100 times more than the CDC recommends. Um, and so that's just concerning. It was one of those things that out of about 118,000 providers that prescribe opioids to Medicare beneficiaries, only about 400 were really prescribing high levels of dosages to patients, but that was about 90,000 beneficiaries. So that's of concern to us. So when we talk about the data, again, it's how do you sift through a petabyte, really the big data problem, to very quickly query information so you can focus in on a specific provider of interest so our agents can more quickly um, get the information that they need to help build their case. Likewise, we're also using some of the data analytics to generate risk models, kind of in a predictive sense, right? And it's based on good training data. We're seeing what what outcomes are coming from some of our law enforcement cases, and we use that to build several models. Um, so it's, it's kind of an iterative. We talk about it being both proactive analytics and kind of the reactive analytics, but it's mostly in partnership with our agents.
0: So how do you sift through a petabyte of data in order to find that needle in a haystack?
2: So. I talk a lot about I'm, I'm so fortunate to have the team that I do. Um, I think of them as unicorns, those rare data talent um, experts that just have programming knowledge, have statistical background. Um, have subject matter expertise now, right? The Medicare and Medicaid programs are not easy to understand. Uh, you know, if any of you think about your parents or your grandparents looking at their explanation of benefits from the Medicare program, usually it ends up with more questions than anything else. So we have to sift through all of those medical codes to understand how to slice and dice the data. Um, and in order to do that, right, we've, we've got several tools that we use to go through that using technology. Um, We're also looking at open source. We've got several commercial products that we leverage, and we're leveraging CMS's environment. But I'll tell you, my folks are just multilingual in programming to be able to come through that. We've created some tools um, so that people can get our agents can just put in a, a national provider index, an NPI number that was created several years ago. They can put in the NPI quickly in their computer wait a few minutes, our team has already written all the code, so it queries the information, and what they get back is just a PDF, summarized information of everything that they'd probably like to know. Um, But that takes time. That takes resources to develop to the tools. I think what we realized is we kept getting the same kind of analytic questions, right? How much is this provider Um, referring to other places, what are the top 10 pharmacies that they send to be sending their patients to, what kind of, what's the overall trends in that geographic area, is this an outlier kind of payment? So, we try to get some of the questions that we normally get with our risk scores um, and looking at questionable billing patterns and put that all and package it in one place for our agents to be able to get that information very quickly. But we can do this too without our agents, right? I want to make sure that's clear that this is mostly on them. And I say this too that if we don't figure out ways to help them, then we're failing in our job.
0: And uh, Kelly, how about on your side? You must be going through similar kinds of or facing similar kinds of issues, but with a different with different sets of data.
1: Absolutely. So, I think just to build on some of the stuff that Carol was saying, um, we pull our data largely from the agencies that we oversee because those are that's where our primary responsibility is. But then we start with the business question: What am I trying to answer? So, like in the opioid example, we wanted to find out in the data that we have and the information we have, can we put together any? Any trends or any ideas about how to solve this question? And interestingly, just another shout out, like Carol was saying for our agents, um, we can't do our data analytics job without a business understanding of what's going on. So we have to partner closely with the agents and with the auditors to understand how data is collected, what it's used for, how they understand it. Because once we understand a little bit more from them, their business, and what they're trying to do, then we can work with the data, our teams can work with the data in order to figure out. How how to best use the data and look through it in order to answer those business questions. So, we get business understanding from our auditors and our agents, and oftentimes even from the people in the agencies that we oversee. And then we use that to answer business questions for them. And just like Carol said, I, in a lot of ways, I see us like a volleyball team. Um, we're the setters, we're position two on the team. We're not the one calling the shots and we're not the one spiking it over the net. We're just setting it up for everybody, making sure everybody's got what they need in order to make the play that they need to play. Um, that's what we do, and we do it really well, and it's exciting to get to use data to do it. So, to answer your question specifically, Michael, we pull it from the agency, but then we'll also pull it from other agencies if we need it. We'll pull it from private companies if we need it and if we can get it. Um, you'll be surprised what's even just publicly available on the Internet that we can pull, and if you can get it into a usable format then it makes it a lot easier for us to to work with it and come up with insights that people can take action on.
0: We have an an interesting question from Arsalan Khan on Twitter who asks, Do the uh, OIGs, the people working in the Office of the Inspector General, share datasets across agencies? and Who is responsible for gathering, managing, and distributing these datasets? Who wants to take that?
1: Uh, I'll take that. That's fine. Sure. The The answer is, yes, it depends on the lawyers. Does that help? <laughs> yes, we do share data sets when we can. and Usually, it's the lawyers who are the ones deciding what we can share and how much because Different. the government has different rules about how it collects data, what it's used for, and a lot of those rules are governed by the Privacy Act. And even if we all say we want more data so we can do better oversight of government agencies, we also all know that when we start pulling on that thread too far, we're starting to really implicate our own privacy rights. And so there's this tension in the government about how much information we have, what we can use it for, how long we can use it, uh, where we keep it, uh, what the retention rates are. And there's a lot of different agencies a lot of different lawyers a lot of different statutes that apply to potential data sets so between the OIGs yes we do share data sets when we can and it's usually the lawyers who make the decision about what we can share and when and interestingly uh, one of the one of the policy challenges of data is that the policy on data changes it's sort of an emerging field and policy Usually lags behind emerging trends. It doesn't usually get in front of it. We still have some some statutes on record that um, that talk about how we how we use telephone surveillance, and it talks about telephones and how they were wired in the 1970s. Like most of us don't use phones plugged into our kitchen walls anymore, but that's how the statutes are written. And until things get updated, we're limited in what the policy. the policy can do for us. Well, similarly, what we found in the data world is that a lot of times the the policy has to catch up to where the data is. And so we have to um, use careful principles of how things worked in the past in order to kind of do our best guess of how to protect privacy and use data now. But then what we find is we'll build models and we have to revise them when policy changes and lets us do more with data or sometimes lets us do
2: less. Can I add to that as well? The two things that I would add to what Kelly has said is that um, one, the IG Empowerment Act from 2016 actually gave OIGs special exemptions from some of the Computer Matching Act. So there's there are a whole lot of rules, uh, rules and regulations that we have to follow. So Kelly's absolutely right that we're concerned about privacy, we're concerned about security, um, but we also know that that um, you know our concern is that if fraudsters are taking advantage of one program, they might be taking advantage of others. And so how can the OIG communicate with each other and coordinate appropriately? So even within the um, OIG community, the Council of Inspector Generals, um, (SIGI). what does the I stand for? Integrity and Efficiency. Integrity and Efficiency, thank you. I was blanking on the I for just a second. Um, SIGI is looking into and giving guidance to all the OIGs of how we can best share that information. So, there are moves within the OIG to share information amongst ourselves. The other thing I, that I always think about too in our organization a lot of people want to share as much as we can, and, and I understand that, but I always balance that with we also have our data use agreements with the agencies, right? A lot of our data does come from the agency itself. And so, we have to be mindful that we aren't the generators of the data and we have to respect what those agreements have been and make sure we're doing it appropriately. You know, Kelly talked about the lawyers, but I see it as a very positive way to make sure that we are protecting the information that we've been entrusted to look at while we're still pursuing wrongdoers and holding them accountable.
0: How do you strike that balance because you must be you know, I can imagine being torn apart in one sense because you have these dual obligations to protect privacy and at the same time to Catch the bad guys and fulfill your organizational mission. So I can imagine that this is a very tough balance. So how how do you strike that balance?
2: I think it's a constant tension between I have a specific entity of interest, and so usually, right? If you think about it in a subpoena writer subpoena case, or I want to go follow something specifically, agency even agency folks tend to be more um, willing to give you information if you already have somebody a point of interest. Right It's harder to do this in the big data world. That's where it's kind of fuzzier boundaries at the moment, and it's, it's an evolving landscape, as Kelly mentioned, right? If I have all of the claims data, then who should have access to all the claims data to look for trends and outliers? Who should be able to see that? Is it law enforcement sensitive? If we're combining it with other data sets, uh, what does that mean? And then for us, it's also extremely important to remember that right, our agents aren't prosecuting the cases. We partner with the Department of Justice, very much so. They're the ones that are actually taking these, these cases and following it to an outcome. And so a lot of it is, how much information do we make available to them up front if we can? Can we make our tools available to them so that they have the same picture as us? But it, it's a balance, and it's a lot of conversation. I found when I first came to the OIG, I was invited to a meeting with our agents, and we were trying to talk about sharing information, and everybody fell back to, it's a technology. We can't do it. It's a tool. It's a tool issue. We have to figure it out. And I said, "Well, why don't we just use? We had a secure channel. Why don't we use this secure channel and just send a hundred leads? If you think that's really information sharing, um, I don't think it's a technology problem." And sure enough, it ended up being more culture and process, and that was the right conversation to drive. But I think everybody started off with wanting to talk about it being a technology barrier when, in fact, it wasn't a technology barrier at all. And those are the right conversations we need to have, uh,
0: Kelly. You know, again, uh, in this whole privacy, how do how do you? Uh, draw this this line. I mean I think this I think this whole issue is such an important one.
1: yeah, you're absolutely right. It's really hard to talk about it in general terms because it really comes up on a case-by-case basis. but I'd be happy to share with you my philosophy. My philosophy on it is that we hold just like you're saying, we hold both of these values as equally important. And so then when it comes time to start talking with the people who like Carol said, own the data or we start talking with, um, with the people who have the data, may not own it but have it, we start we start evaluating those two considerations. So on the one hand, the, what are the rules? What what does it actually say? The limitations are. Carol's right. A lot of it, a lot of it is read in like the times I've heard Privacy Act thrown around. Well, Privacy Act, Privacy Act. You open the Privacy Act, it doesn't say anything about what you're saying. Um, but there's not a lot of people courageous enough to read it. So uh, so there you, you kind of have to knock down the fake. Um, obstacles and then look at the real obstacles, something I found, Michael, is that it seems like data, you know how they used to say, music and math are universal languages across cultures and languages? I think, in in a similar way, data is becoming that way. It's becoming like a universal language across government agencies where we can all get behind the same data and say, that's what it says, or that is the business problem. I have something I can add to that. Can we get behind the mission to find a solution? And I'm not in any way saying the solution is just, more data more data i'm just saying that there's probably more solutions than what we have on the table and if we if we knock down the fake obstacles and look at the real obstacles usually we can solve them but it takes everybody kind of having a meeting of the minds to say our common intent is to for example stop fraud in our agency we're not here to point the finger at anybody the data says what it says what are we going to do about it or the data says this and we need a little bit more to understand it so we can help you usually when people have they know that like like Carol was saying that we're not playing gotcha we're really here to try to use data to find where the where the real criminals are the enemy isn't the OIG the enemy is an agency management the enemy is the person who's taking advantage of our agencies and defrauding them whether those are external vendors or they're even people who work for us and we can we can all unite a about that? And what can we do to, to find solutions to the problems that are getting in our way of solving that? Sometimes the law or the culture or the agreements, they're just not going to let us move forward. But it seems more and more, and I agree with Carol, I applaud our attorneys. Uh, we have really creative attorneys who work here. They're not, um, we talk about yes attorneys and no attorneys or green light, red light attorneys. Um, it's just too easy to find an attorney who says no. But it's a lot harder to find the attorneys who are willing to say, okay, let's find out what the real obstacles are. Sometimes those can't be resolved, but a lot of times they can. And then let's
2: work together to fix them.
0: Carol, you are nodding your head.
2: Oh, absolutely. I think um, one of the things I think about with our analytic team is we always, you know, it's kind of the first mantra of, yes, we can and how can we, right? So we have a very customer service focused team. And, it's always just a matter of, okay, what really are the real barriers, not just the perceived barriers? And how do we find the right people to pull to the table, to have a conversation, to work through it? That's why I was nodding my head because we have some fantastic folks in our council's office that help us navigate some of these issues. Um, a lot of what we talk about, too, is there's a difference between data access, right? IGs uh, based on the IG Act and the IG Empowerment Act. We have access to data of the agency. That doesn't necessarily mean system access which can be a challenge if you're fighting fraud and you need something very quickly and you want real-time information. One of our successes has been that we do have system access into the Center of Medicaid and Medicare's integrated data repository, which has been huge. So an example of that, um, there's actually the a DOJ press release that you can see. Our team partnered with FBI to uncover a billion-dollar Medicare fraud scheme in Florida. And it was really because we had access to the system to be able to pull the thread very quickly looking at the claims data. That we were able to uncover some of the schemes, some of the pattern of the fraud. And so, you know, we talk about it too of the how can we, you know, once we have the system access and are able to look at the data, right, here's what it's enabling. And so I was also taking that back to the system owners within CMS and saying, thank you so much for working with us. I know that wasn't easy to let the OIG have access to your system, but here's now what we're able to do with it. Here's what we've been able to find, here's what it's empowered. And I think that that's been very helpful both from from their perspective, I hope, I think it has been, but also just to share it with leadership here, right, within HHS, that here's what happens when you do share data. I think some folks are afraid to share data because they're still worried about, well, it might get misinterpreted, you know, I'm not sure, or it changes frequently, I want to make sure that you have absolutely the right thing. Um, But part of it, it's also, we try to take a very transparent approach with the folks we're working with. To get the data, to run the algorithm, to see the results, and then circle back with them to say, and now here's what we found. Does this look right to you? So if something is misleading in the data for some reason, right, looked at the wrong variable, something got misinterpreted, then there can be a conversation about that. So I think data's data is not the only story or the end of the story. It's usually at the very beginning. It's it's the volleyball analogy, of course, I'm too short so I can't play volleyball very well. I'm not the setter, but I like that analogy of thinking of us as the setters in volleyball.
0: And uh, you're you're sitting at the intersection of technology and the business, how the, how the business functions, and the law. And so I have to imagine that that makes everything that much more complicated.
1: Oh, complicated is one word, and adventurous and exciting is another.
0: So you're dealing with the data science, and, and you started talking earlier about your teams. And so, from, from a technology standpoint, who do you employ? You mentioned, Carol mentioned earlier, unicorn programmers are needed to find those data needles in the haystack. I'm assuming you must have data scientists. So, so who, who supports you from a technology standpoint?
2: I'm happy to go into that first. I have a great partner in a CIO, Chris Chilbert, has been absolutely fabulous. I think when I got here, we were looking at our own infrastructure and figuring out if it was the most effective and efficient within our own organization. So, you know, my team um, had done a lot, you know, several years ago under sequestration. It was always the push to do more with less, do more with less, do more with less. And they are just so creative and figured out how to program in new languages to figure out how to leverage these external systems and environments with the power behind them. Um, and now it's really an opportunity again to think okay, what more can we do? We have a new CIO here. he's been here about a year and a half now, and thinking about we want to get our infrastructure more resilient, we want to make sure our network's upgraded, we're looking into cloud solutions, we're looking more into open source, we're looking into mobile capabilities, um, and really figuring out how do we enable our agents. So you know, for an example, uh, our agents used to have Blackberries. Right. Like th- there's nothing more telling that you're Fed than you have a BlackBerry. Right? <laughs> um, so um, part of it was figuring OK, so first we piloted it with our agents. But now that got us thinking when we first created our tools. Right. One of them was looking at the payments by geographic area to understand what was happening in their federal judicial district or by county or what, you know, by state, whatever level they wanted. But when we created it, it was meant to be on your desktop. It was meant to be on your monitor. Well, now, if they're out in the field, right, agents aren't really at their desks very often. They're out talking to people, they have questions. So now we're thinking about how do we really make sure that our technologies are mobile enabled to give them exactly what they need and when they need it. So it's exciting, right? It's not challenging. It's like Kelly said, it's exciting to have that conversation. Um, to pull our digital services director, we have a new person here too, Evan Lee, who's been here about maybe a year now. Can't remember exactly when, too. But what I talk about is a lot of us are newer to the organization and we're the change agents. We're trying to enable people to do more with what we have, and we're being thoughtful and creative about other solutions we can bring to the table. And so it is a fun, it's a fun intersection of technology and data analytics. You know, the folks that I have on my team are more the data scientists, actually producing the algorithms and coding to figure out. How do we take all these complicated healthcare codes and look for the outliers and look for the peer comparisons? But we need our partners very much in our information, you know, in our OIT, our information technology group, and our digital services to figure out how to evolve the system.
0: Kelly, what about this notion of uh, being the change agents? Would maybe could you elaborate on that?
1: Absolutely, I actually think that that ties in nicely with what Carol was just talking about. Who are we looking for here? We could talk about degrees and backgrounds you know business scientists, business analysts, computer scientists, data scientists. Um, but the fact is what what I think I found in, in common with all of our top performers is I think of them as imagineers. They are highly creative people who are like engineers with data or with computers they know how to use technology uh, to answer these questions and to kind of they use it to explore and to do basically, full investigations or full audits from their computer. They can just dig into all of this information, and they do it um, with a lot of joy and enthusiasm. But interestingly, when you talk about the change agent piece, if we just think about data scientists or our data analyst division, the chief data officer office of just being a bunch of data geeks, you've totally missed it. What I think has worked really well for us, our IG thought outside the box and said, we need to pull in, again, the key here is understanding what this is being used for and how to use it. We need to pull in these creative, ambitious people from around the agency. And get them all in this this one think tank, this creative tank known as CDO. Um, it's like the Switzerland in the camps of audit and investigations. You're not going to see CDO and the IG Act. So um, anybody who comes here kind of has to leave their audit or investigator title at the door. They don't actually, but they come with that background into CDO, where we all get around a table, or get in front of a board, or get in front of a computer screen and figure out solutions to problems. So our change agent. Uh, the way we worked is once we saw that we could actually do stuff with the data, the data was valuable and we could turn it into results for the organization. Our goal is to make the OIG better, to improve its return on investment in audits and investigations. So, We're doing investigations and audits faster. They're higher quality. They have better turnaround because of the data. Uh, like Carol was saying, one of our goals in this era of do more with less is to use analytics to do that. I really think analytics is the solution of how do we do more with less? How do we make sure our auditors are directed to the highest value audits? Make sure that like, we gave 500 leads to investigations last year. Only one of them was unfounded. All of the others had merit. That's a huge win, just saving time and effort for our agents that they know that they're looking at stuff that's valuable. So when we get all of those people, auditors, agents, people with inspection backgrounds, a lawyer, accountants, fraud examiners, MBAs, all of these people are in our group. Get them around the table, they approach the problem from different perspectives. And that's how change happens. Not only do we come up with more creative solutions that, you know, if you think of a ship, we're able to inform the executives how to direct the ship, like, let's go in this direction, but we also can support We can support the organization with the data analytics work. We can row in the back and guide from the front. It's a really great place to be, but I think, really, the key is that we do it with a lot of creativity. We do it with some knowledge, expertise, whether that's in data or in business or actually in the work that we do, like investigations and audit. That's how we've been able to, to do change here at the OIG.
0: It's really interesting what you said that data and analytics are the key to doing more with less. And you touched on some of the metrics and KPIs that guide your work. And, uh, Carol, what about on your side? Can you talk about how do you, how do you measure what you're doing and the, and the outcomes that they're, that you're on the right track?
2: So, part of our effort actually from my office was also just to establish priority outcomes and key performance indicators for the whole organization, and then to figure out better ways of tracking it internally to see if we're meeting our metrics. Um, very specifically for our analytic team, one of the things I was really pushing on was to understand um, if we're developing all these tools, how many people are using them, and what kinds of things are they pulling to inform the work. And so, we had to create tracking mechanisms to understand that, but we report out on that routinely. We have internal meetings within our division that we talk about that, and we actually report it out to the organization to say, here's what we are delivering on your behalf. Here's what we're trying to do. and It's also just to make sure that people are aware. You know, The part that I was also reflecting on, Kelly and I have talked about this, a lot of it also has to do with communication and education in the organization. Um, if you say data at the fingertips of the OIG, that can mean multiple things to multiple people. Right? So, it's like, which data are you talking about? Is it our internal data? Is it the external mission data? Are we talking about data for executives and management? Are we talking about data for our frontline auditors, evaluators, or investigators, or attorneys? Like, What are you talking about? It's a huge conversation. So, what I found is some of the metrics we put in place have actually enabled that conversation, mostly to help with the, the education and communication about what we're trying to do. Overall my goal is to make sure as an organization our specific mission is to provide more and better access to data and analytics and my specific metric is trying to reduce the time it takes for all of our folks to access quality data that is loaded right there were lots of conversations about how are we going to measure it and I still don't think we've quite gotten there on the how do we measure our quality data for some of these pieces but we're working on it and the the point that that we tried to drive was, we need to create these metrics so we make sure we're tracking to the right thing, and we just keep talking about that priority and our mission and how we're trying to accelerate our analytics, how we're trying to use data to drive more informed decisions, um, and just enhancing our use of data. There's data all over the place. It's how do we pull it together and make sure we talk about this too. How do we make sure that OIG knows what OIG knows, right? So we don't have 10 copies of the same spreadsheet that it's appropriately shared, appropriately stored, appropriately controlled. Um, so those are kind of some of the things that we're tracking.
0: It's interesting. It sounds like uh, Carol, your focus that you were describing your metrics and KPIs as relating to the data and how the data is then used. And Kelly, you were describing yours as uh, speed of investigations and things, things like that. So. Is there are those d- different? Are you saying different things? Are you saying the same things in different ways? Does it reflect different focus for each of you in in your particular agency?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things Carol and I have talked about, we've worked together in sharing what our respective performance measures would be because we both have. A role to play in developing those for our agencies. And I think that you're right, Michael, that in, in a way we are looking at similar things and in a way we are emphasizing slightly different things. Um, but I think ultimately we're. We're aiming towards the same goal. We have to take our agency at the place where it is now and help guide it towards being the best possible OIG it can be. So, one of the things that we decided to look at for data analytics, we know we're going to be successful in helping our agents if we're reducing the time it takes for them to make successful cases. So, it used to take um, around 300 or 530. Hours to do a case on average, and now we have it down to under 390 when they're using data analytics. Or we used to have a return of about $600,000 on average in financial impact on a case, and now it's over $900,000 because of the data analytics. And so we're trying to measure exactly how the data analytics is helping. Um, We also look at the cases and the audits that are performed as a result of the. Tools that we've developed, and so one of our models was an audit model because we wanted to talk about fraud. So we developed an audit model looking at contract fraud, pulling data from different areas. You know, looking at um, things that we would consider like contract pricing, uh, the CEO's role in a contract, just looking at different elements of a contract, and we pulled it together into a model for auditors to be able to really quickly rack and stack the thirteen billion dollars in contracts the Postal Service has every year, so they could identify which contractors or which contracts had the highest probability of fraud and in one one of those years there was a 500 million dollar return in our in our audit findings just from that one model so those are the kind of things that we're looking at over here at the OIG
0: so it's enabling you to not just uh, conduct these investigations more, efficiently, but it sounds like the, the data enables you to do new kinds of investigations to kind of rethink the type of investigations you do because of the availability of that data and the type of analytics that you're performing on that data. Is that, is that correct?
2: In Particularly, Medicare fraud, if you think about Florida, Miami, there is so much fraud. This is not about generating leads for our agents. It's really about how can we help in the optimization of the work. So, as Kelly was just talking about with the optimizing audits, where do we want to point our resources? So, for our organization, if you think about a trillion-dollar portfolio that you're supposed to be providing oversight for, we have about 1,600 people in the whole Office of Inspector General and about 70-plus offices throughout the country. That's really not a lot of people for that size of portfolio. We've done a bubble chart looking at our budget compared to the whole budget of HHS. It's not big. So, what it really means is we're trying to focus... Um, the efforts as best as we can and help inform those conversations. Data is not going to be the only um, input into deciding which audit to do, which evaluation to do, or which case to go after, but it can be helpful. And That's really the way we looked at our predictive analytics with our risk models. Does it help find… Maybe a risk a, that's a high-risk provider that's not yet under investigation, or it's validating that when we do run our models, we compare it against our case management system and find that there actually are a lot that are already under investigation. And then in that case, we look for are there linkages and what's the what's the link analysis, what's the network analysis, and what else can we add to those cases that may be an additional insight that we hadn't seen before. And that's where I think we're really trying to add value in that case.
0: It's really fascinating. Uh, we're we're almost out of time. And so I'll ask each of you, maybe, uh, Kelly, want to go first for your final thoughts on the use of data in these, these kinds of investigations that you've been describing.
1: I think that the the data analytics frontier just represents so many incredible possibilities for doing oversight work of federal agencies in new, and I agree with you, Carol, optimized ways. We want to find as effective and efficient ways as possible to do our job so that our auditors and our agents get to work. The best cases and are working on the highest risk program areas for our respective agencies, and that's just a win for us. And I think that with with what Carol and I are doing, we're really exploring that frontier and turning it into a reality for our respective OIGs.
0: And Carol, it looks like you're going to get the last word. Uh, maybe share with us your thoughts on being a change agent in the government, since clearly that's a very, very important function that that both of you play.
2: I. Change management is not an afterthought. It should be the first thought in everything that we do, no matter where we are in the federal government. Uh, You know, we talked a lot about the how can I. The, The questions I love the most are what if and why not? And if you start from that, then you can really get some momentum going behind you about how can we make this better. I tell my team all the time that we are the change agents the innovators, the enablers, and the accelerators. It's not that there's something broken in our organization that we need to fix. It's we need to take what's working and making it better. And so, any way that we can enable that and help our folks do their jobs even more, that's when we really know we're connecting to the mission, right? We, we want to hold wrongdoers accountable. We want to make sure that we're protecting the programs. And so, being change agents, you know, sometimes I call us the gentle agitators <laughs> because that's really our role is to ask that question of, why not and what if? Um, and so I really I'm inspired too by my team. I have a fantastic team, and it's really about the organization and the partnerships we've had here with the business. I'm very I'm very appreciative of all of our investigators and our auditors and our evaluators that work with us to figure this out. Without them, we would not be successful.
0: Okay, wow, what an interesting conversation, and I love that the gentle instigators. Well, you have been watching episode number 253 of. CXO Talk. And we have been speaking with Kelly Chebacca, who is the Chief Data Officer of the U.S. Postal Service with the Office of the Inspector General. And we've also been talking with Carol Brzmacowitz, who is the Assistant Inspector General and Chief Data Officer at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, also with the Office of the Inspector General. Thanks so much for watching CXO Talk. Be sure to like us on Facebook and also subscribe on YouTube and we will be back with more next week. Go to cxotalk.com and check it out. Thanks so much everybody, have a great day. Bye-bye.